Hello and welcome into another episode of the Labumba Pastors Blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson continues our series from the book of Acts. The title of the lesson is Acts 7, Stephen Condemns Israel. The passage we're going to look at today is maybe the longest one we've ever done on an episode. It's 53 verses. And actually, when I was thinking about doing a series on this book, this particular passage was one that caused me to, to hesitate because I knew it would be a bit long for this platform. But for us really to, to break it down, we need to see what Stephen is saying here in, in the entirety of his statement. So please bear with me as I read from verse 1 to verse 3, verse 53 of Acts chapter 7, and then we'll, we'll go back and, and I will make some comments about what, what Stephen is accusing the nation of Israel and its leaders of in their history and in what they had done to their Messiah when he came. So beginning in verse number one of Acts 7, we read, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, Jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, seventy-five persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. 
When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled, and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the, in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphan, the images that you made to worship. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. 
Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. The chapter begins with the leaders giving Stephen an opportunity to respond to his accusers. If you remember from Act 6, at the end of Act 6, his accusers had made these statements about him. It says, And they set up false witnesses, verse 13 and 14, who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. The Jews most always placed their confidence in their standing with God based on the presence of the temple and their descent from Abraham. Thus, their religious leaders failed to examine themselves in the way the Bible teaches people to examine everyone, which is by the fruit of their lives. In a dialogue with Jesus, a crowd told Jesus that God was their father. In John chapter 8, verse 41, Jesus says, you are doing the works your father did. Then they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. But Jesus then pointed out the contradiction between their claim and their behavior. In verse 42, it says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. The Jews accused Stephen of threatening the things they placed great confidence in, which was the fact that they were given the law and that they had the temple. To understand Stephen's preaching to them, we must understand his line of thinking and the way he progresses. Stephen raises two examples from Israel's history that he draws a parallel to with Christ's own experience. Joseph was a son of Jacob and a brother of the other 11 patriarchs. And yet, how did they treat him? They were jealous of him and sold him into slavery in Egypt. Thus, we see a foreshadowing of the betrayal of Messiah by his own people. In John chapter 1, verse 11, we read, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Similar to Jesus, God used the betrayal of Joseph to save people, not only of Israel, but also the world. Then Stephen describes Moses' life and ministry in some detail. The New Testament draws several strong parallels between Moses and Jesus, as do the details of their lives. Both were born when their people were ruled by a foreign power. Both had kings who tried to kill them while they were just babies. Both were called out of Egypt. Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness before beginning ministry. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before God sent him to save Israel. Stephen says God made Moses, in verse 35 of Acts 7, both ruler and redeemer of Israel. Those are titles put together that are only assigned to one other man in Scripture, which is Jesus Christ. In Stephen's narration, he highlights how Israel rejected both Joseph and Moses, though they were God's appointed servants. He describes how in the wilderness of Sinai, 
The people turn to idolatry rather than being faithful to God. Though Israel was chosen by God and called by God, we see that before Jesus, it never produced the fruit God's people should have. Their claim on relationship with God, based on their genealogical descent, was as empty as their acts of worship. Every time God sent them one of his messengers, they mistreated the messenger and rejected his message. Stephen brings his statement to his conclusion or to his point, the point of everything he said, in his accusation, his condemnation of these people in verse 51 to 53 of Acts 7, where he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. There is no people group to ever owe greater accountability to God than the children of Israel. God asks this of them in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? God compares Israel to a vineyard that he had done everything for so that it would produce good fruit, yet he never found any. The word of God demands good fruit. It demands the correct response, which is to produce fruit. Now, I want us to see that the accountability God demanded of Israel has been placed upon the whole world through the sacrifice of Christ. God tells us this is the new reality. In Acts 17, verse 30 and 31, it says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There is no excuse and there is no place to hide. No one can claim ignorance or that they are accepted from this demand which God makes. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have all received the fulfillment of what the law predicted. God's Passover lamb, which takes away the sin of the world, has been offered. How have you responded to him? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 29, give us a very serious warning. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. 
Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? Which side of this trial of Stephen are you on? Do you stand among the accusers, judging the servant of God? Or do you stand boldly, declaring the truth of God to your accusers? What fruits are you producing from God's investment in you? God bless you all.